dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. The generosity of the disciple. Sometimes we feel like God asks us for a lot. Sometimes it feels like God asks us for too much. What's the point of generosity in our faith and how can it help us instead of hurt us? In today's talk, I explore the lesson of generosity that Jesus teaches his disciples in Mark chapter 6. Well, good morning, and I'm just so happy that you're all here and that we can have this time together to look at how Jesus teaches his disciples in the Gospel of St. Mark. And remember, when I say teaches his disciples, what I'm speaking specifically to is is teaching his disciples how to be leaders. And for for, for me, I, I think that our world today is really missing this spirit of leadership. It's almost like uh, for us, we expect someone else to take charge because we're scared of doing it ourselves. And once you have that spirit, you're looking at something that just doesn't exist in the call of Christ. When he calls his 12 apostles to follow him, he calls them to follow him personally and responsibly. And that means to own their choice. And by owning their choice, well, they become the leader in whatever situation they find themselves. And so when Christ then forms his 12 apostles, when he forms these men to follow him wherever he goes, he's actually forming leaders. And this, I think, is such an insight for us to think of yourself and to learn to think of yourselves as a leader, as chosen by Christ to make an impact and to make a change for the better, to bring the light into the darkness, to bring the victory into the defeat, to bring peace into war, to bring unity into division, but to be an agent, to be active, you know? (laughs) It's it's so, so empowering because so many of us feel like we can't do anything about the societal changes around us, about the crises left and right that are uh, assailing us, about our own family situation. We just feel disenfranchised. We feel, we feel as, as if we don't have any control. And this is exactly where Christ comes in to say, you can do all things by my grace and by my power. If you'd say to that sycamore, get up and move, it would do so and be planted in the midst of the sea and would grow there. I mean, he actually says, nothing is impossible if you believe. All right. So beyond whether you know or not you think what he means by that, I'm here to say one thing that he means by that is to say that you need to take possession of the grace that he has given you to live the life he's calling you to live and not wait for someone else to supplant it. This is called leadership. 
I'd like to look at how he forms that spirit of leadership here today and, and continuing to look at the gospel of Mark. Now, last time we looked at the call of the apostles. We looked specifically at Mark chapter 1 where he called Peter, James, John, and Andrew to follow him. And they, they claimed that primacy of the spiritual and they let Christ call them. I want to now look at Mark 6 where there's an extraordinary example of the teaching of Christ around generosity and how he wants his apostles to be generous the way that he is. And I want to especially underline what's fascinating about Mark 6 is not only does Christ give this teaching, but the gospel writer underscores the teaching by an example of what it looks like when we're not generous. So um, I, want to, I want to get into this text. There's just so much in there. So before we do that, let's invoke the Holy Spirit and ask for him to come. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Come, O Holy Spirit, Father of the poor. Illumine the hearts of thy faithful and enkindle in them the fire of thy love. Send forth thy spirit and they shall be created and thou shalt renew the face of the earth. Let us pray. O God, who didst instruct the hearts of thy faithful by the light of the Holy Spirit, grant us in the same spirit to be truly wise and ever to rejoice in his consolation. Through the same Christ, our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, I think Mark 6 has got to be one of the most extraordinary places in Scripture because it outlines for us an, a message that's clear, that's poignant, and that's extremely fruitful for our spiritual lives. And, and I like to say this because a lot of you right now, you, you're sitting there saying to yourself, I, I, I wish I had some way to kind of like energize my Catholic faith. I, I don't even know really why I'm staying here as a Catholic. I was taught this way. The, the nuns taught me in school, you know. Uh, and so I'm a Catholic because my grandparents were, my dad, I have a little statue of Mary on my nightstand. I have a rosary maybe somewhere in my house. But I, I just don't know where to go from there. It kind of feels like I've been here at this spot in Catholicism since I was a kid. And I don't know how to go deeper. I don't know what that looks like. And I'd like to say, number one, the thing it looks like is you reading your Bible. <laughs> we cannot emphasize enough the power of God's written word in Scripture. Now, I, I know you might not be used to hearing this, but it's time to get used to hearing it. Why? Because in Scripture is a meeting point with Christ. Jesus himself is the word. He speaks the word, and the word that he speaks has been written down for us so that he could speak it to us every single day and that we could be renewed and refreshed in his holy word every day. And so when you learn to read the word, you actually are learning to encounter Jesus. Uh, so if you think of scripture, you can look at it like a nut. You have the outer shell of the nut, and then you have the inner meat. And the outer shell of the nut, it's Jesus, it's what it says, the circumstances, um, not just what it says, but it's like the, the, the environment 
around the deep meaning of God's word. Right? And then there's the, the, the nut itself, kind of like the, 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 the bark on the outside of the, 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 the juicy meat of the nut. And that bark on the outside is, is what the text says and is, is, is meant uh, on a human way. And then the inner juicy meat is through what is written in the context. You know, Jesus came to a well and sit, sat down. There's a well, there's a woman, there's Jesus. And then through what is presented in the text, Jesus actually saying this, the, the message that Jesus is speaking to our hearts. And we need to learn to, to go through both of those two layers, which are essential to the, to the deep meaning. It can't be separated from it. But at the same time, there's a dialogue, a meeting between our hearts and Christ that he wants us to get to. And we get to it by reading our Bibles in that spirit of faith and allowing that dialogue to take place between Christ and our hearts. When we do that, we become disciples who are strong because not only do we meet Christ in his person, but we're also taught by Christ in a way that feeds our intelligence so that we can discern in the future between where his voice really is found and where Christ really is giving himself and where he's not. We become intelligent sheep, able to discern the voice of the pastor, run over to the voice of the good shepherd, and follow him into the green pastures of life. And I'm telling you, this is why a lot of people are stumbling in their Catholic faith. It's, it's just to remember what St. Jerome told us. Ignorance of Scripture is ignorance of Christ. Let's not be ignorant of Christ. Let's plunge into Mark chapter 6. But let's do it with hearts that are eager to hear Jesus, to love Jesus, and to know Jesus better. Father Nathan is producing an ongoing source of videos to form, unite, and inspire you and your family. Go to eagleeyeministries.org. That's E-A-G-L-E-E-Y-E ministries.org. And subscribe to Eagle Eye Pro. Subscribe today. Okay, everybody, well, there's just so much in Mark 6. So um, if I were to read the whole gospel, it would maybe distract us uh, for, from the, the, the message at hand. But we just absolutely have to see what happens here. Okay, so Mark chapter 6 is, is broken up into basically a, a, a beginning, a during, and an after. And the beginning has two parts. So in Mark 6, you start off with Jesus who is being rejected in his hometown. So he, he says in verse six, he went about all the villages teaching, right? So he goes to his hometown, the people don't believe him. And so he goes about all the villages teaching. And then in verse seven, he calls the 12 and begins to send them out two by two. And he gives them power over unclean spirits. And they sent, he, he sent them out to proclaim to the people that they should repent. Verse 12, they cast out demons, they anointed with oil the sick, and they healed them. So you have Christ the preacher who then forms his apostles to preach, to spread his holy word, to speak to them of repentance and to anoint them with oil. So you actually have also the beginnings there of the sacraments, right? 
the, the, the anoint the, those who are sick with oil. We still do that. That's called the anointing of the sick. And this is one of the Bible passages where we see that foundation. This is Mark 6, verse 12. But beyond that, you see the general, the general theme. Christ is saying, share my mission. Right? Then this strange segue happens. Right in the midst of this, you have what I call the middle. And the middle is this story of the death of John the Baptist at the hand of Herod. And it's kind of a, of a, of a chilling tale, right? Herod ends up as being described as this person. He kind of wants the truth. He's fascinated by John, even though John condemns him because Herod takes his own brother's wife to be his own, Herodias. And so, of course, he, he takes his brother's Philip. He was married to Herodias. And he steals her and claims her for his wife. So this is, of course, against God's holy uh, law. We know very well God's law. Marriage is between one man and one woman for life. And it's irrevocable and it's open to the gift of children. So exclusive, fruitful, and lifelong. Well, this is not exactly what... And someone needed to teach that to Herod. <laughs> because Herod didn't quite get that message. And because of that lust that's in his heart, his, his downfall comes. And this really, a scene that just gives us shivers down our spine, uh, Herod's stepdaughter, you know, although he's not really married to Herodias, but this woman's daughter, his niece, performs a dance for Herod and his companions. And that dance so pleased Herod, this is verse 21, that, you know, he ends up promising her whatever she would like, even to half of his kingdom. And then, of course, she goes and says, I want the head of John the Baptist on a platter. And it says Herod regretted this because of, but because of his oaths, he goes ahead and kills the greatest man who ever lived. It's Jesus who says, there's no man born of woman on the earth who is greater than John the Baptist. And here, John the Baptist comes to his end so shamefully uh, for Herod at the hands of this weak man who's filled with lust and filled with fear and is corrupt from the inside. And that's an important point because you say to yourself, why does this story come right after Jesus sends out his apostles? And Mark makes it clear why this story comes sandwiched between the sending out of the apostles and then what happens after, which is the feeding of the 5,000. I'm just going to like lay this out for you because then in verse 30, so you have Jesus, the teacher who associates his apostles to his mission, sends them out to preach. Then you have this segue into this corrupt individual who's weak and more than weak, allows his weakness to overcome him. And then it goes right back. And in verse 30, you've got the apostles. It says the apostles returned to Jesus and told them all that they had done and taught. And so they're telling him, and Jesus says, come away with me for a while and rest. And then it's, it's a, uh, the people hear that they're going to rest. And in verse 34, Jesus went ashore and he saw a great crowd. And he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. What an amazing scene. And, when it, and, and so he began to teach them at great length. And then this amazing thing happens. The apostles come up and they say, Lord, it's late. The people have no food. Dismiss them. It's a very reasonable thing. Let them go so that they can buy some food in the villages to eat. 
And then Jesus, verse 37, says this earth-shaking line. You give them something to eat. Oh, that's amazing, right? So they protest. They say, Lord, how in the world could, 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 could I give them something to eat? Like, the, the, you'd have to spend eight months of work, right? 200 days wages in order to feed even them for this one meal. And then Jesus says, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. It's really cool. It's almost like Jesus is saying to them, look, I didn't say to them, feed them all. I said, give them something yourselves. So it's like he, he commands them, go and look at what, stop telling me what you don't have and start telling me what you do. I know that it's not enough, but I'm telling you to give them the little that you have. And miraculously, when they do, what happens? He feeds them all by his almighty power. It's, it, it, and so right after that, the hearts of the, he dismisses the crowd in haste and the hearts of the apostles were hardened. This is something that really is amazing to us. I'm going to get into all this, but I want you to see the scene. So they're hardened by this because they did not understand what happened. And they get into this boat and he makes them row all throughout the night against the headwind. It's so odd, but I, 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 again, like it all makes sense when you see what happens. He then walks on the sea and gets into the boat with them at the end of the night. And as he got into the boat, verse 51, the wind ceased and they were astounded for they did not understand and their hearts had been hardened. And when he gets out of the boat, the whole region begins to bring sick people to him. This is verse 55. And wherever he came, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and many people reached out to touch his garment and everyone who touched his garment was healed. Okay, so there's a lot in that passage. Let me just unpack it by saying this is a lesson in generosity. And the lesson of generosity is really clear. When you look at Herod, the antithesis of generosity. And you can start to understand why our Lord asks us for so much. He asks us for so much because love, the love of a disciple, the love of an apostle of Jesus Christ cannot be kept alive except by loving. And loving is not just a feeling. It's not just a connection. You know, it's like that song, you know, bring back that, that loving feeling. Oh, that loving feeling. I've lost that loving feeling. That's not it. It doesn't work that way. Yeah. The, the truth is that love and the love of Christ is spoken as sacrifice, as a generous spirit. And it's only in that generous spirit of generosity the generosity of the cross, that the love of Christ is kept alive in the heart of the apostle. And this, in fact, is the message. Father Nathan has founded the St. John Institute, the MBA program that develops students into the leaders of tomorrow by giving them a missionary's heart and an entrepreneur's mind. Visit our website at stjohninstitute.org. Dare great things for Christ. Here's what I mean. Again, if you look at Mark uh, 6 as a whole, you can see an amazing thing. Christ is sending his apostles out on a mission that is difficult. He sends them to the sick. 
And then, of course, he goes there himself. So he starts by preaching in Mark 6, and then he sends his apostles to anoint the sick. In other words, he sends his apostles out on a journey and a mission into the lives of the poor. And and the letter of St. James teaches us that the poor are precisely those who cannot repay us. And this is what makes them poor. If we were to serve the rich, we would do so in a way that the the money or the gift, and I don't just mean uh, monetarily rich, rich in the sense of people who are welcoming, people who are loving, people who become our friends, they pay us back. And, and, And that's, of course, a fine thing. But they pay us back by listening to us, by being attentive. And Jesus sends us not just to those who are who are that way in order to bring them the spiritual help that they need, but he also sends us to those who cannot repay us. And he says, when you throw a banquet, invite the poor and the lame and the cripples, those who cannot repay you, and you'll have your reward in everlasting life. And here is he does the same thing to his apostles. Now, why does he do that? You could say to yourself in the same way, why is it that my, my husband is so hard to get along with? <laughs> you know, it'd be so much easier only if I had this more compassionate husband, this man who can understand me. When I talk to him, uh, he just, just appreciates me so much and it's just such a warm and fuzzy thing. Or why would he give me the children that he has? It seems like my children don't even pay attention. They don't want to go to church, you know. And, and you could just keep on going right through the blame game, right? Of everybody in the world who's not the way that I wish that they were. And I become a kind of victim. And I could say, and I could find, I would just say to you, my friend, maybe the Lord is sending you exactly to the poor, to those who are broken, to those who cannot repay you in order to teach you this life-saving message of generosity. Because it's in the poverty of the apostle, the poverty of the heart that cannot reach those with great ease and who needs to rely on the Lord beyond their strength, that character is truly formed. He wants his leaders not to have their mission be easy, but to have their mission be hard, so that they remember to rest upon him. What's the antithesis look like? Well, King Herod. King Herod has absolutely everything that he, wa- he wanted. And this is exactly what we want. Oh, I only wish that I had it easy. I only wish that my, my leadership would be just resound in the hearts of everyone around me. I wish that I, as I spoke, you know, people would listen. And, I mean, when Herod spoke, people listened. And I only wish that I had a life that was comfortable. Herod had a life that was comfortable. Oh, and I only wish that people would would fawn over me. Herod had people fawning over him. And he was a leader. He He was given this position of authority, and he had it easy. And look what happens to his heart. Herod's heart from the inside allows the ease on the outside to make him someone who lives for himself. And when he lives for himself, he causes the murder of the greatest man who ever lived. And he disrespects his own stepdaughter. This is a terrible scene. And I think it's put there precisely to explain why Christ sends us forth into the darkness and why the winds that blow are so cold and why being a leader and taking a stance makes us so alone. It's so that we realize 
that we are following our leader into leadership. And that the one that who's always with us is Jesus. And that he's the one that makes our leadership, that makes our, 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 our striving and our labors worthwhile. And this is exactly what he then shows us. He says in the, in the lesson of the loaves, right? What they're supposed to do is give them the little that they have. The little that they have. It's like the spirit of generosity, in other words, isn't measured in the size of what you give Christ. It's not because, oh, I'm wealthy so I can give him a lot of money. I'm more generous than the next. No. Remember the story of the widow's might. It, it, she gives out of, her, out of her poverty, it says. And this is why Christ blesses her. In other words, it's like Mother Teresa used to say. She would say, give and give until it hurts. It's not a question of the quantity. It's a question of how deep from yourself that that gift comes. Why does Christ want that? He wants that so that they become like him. He who, was, who gave absolutely everything on the cross and saved the world by his generosity unto death, he gave us not only his friends, but he gave us his possessions. And, and not only his possessions, but his clothes. And not only his clothes, but his body. And not only his body, but his blood. And not only his blood, but his very soul. Jesus dies out of generosity for those whom he's called to love. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. And he's forming his shepherds, his leaders, to have the same spirit, even if they might not give to them of themselves to death by a bloody death, they give of themselves by a spiritual sacrifice that marks the Christian. And that spiritual sacrifice of generosity is what saves the world. And this is why Christ and, and drives us forward into these situations that so many of us feel. St. Ignatius of Loyola prayed it so beautifully. Dearest Master, teach me to be generous. Teach me to serve you as you deserve, to give and not to count the cost, to fight and not to heed the wounds, to toil and not to ask for rest, to labor and not to seek after any reward, save that of knowing that I am doing your will, O Lord. Amen. May God bless you. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at info at stjohninstitute.org. That's info at stjohninstitute.org. And don't forget to subscribe to premium video content to form, unite, and inspire you at Eagle Eye Pro on our website, eagleeyeministries.org. That's eagleeyeministries.org.